Hello everyone, and welcome to an all-new edition of The Elite Beat, your source for all the AEW news, reviews, and previews. I'm Andy, and I am your only host today. Had some things come up, had some things go down, and I'm solo bolo. So, probably going to be quite a bit shorter of a show than usual, but we're going to get through everything. Let us start with ratings. We only have Rampage ratings at this time because, uh, you know, uh, I'm recording this at 3.44 p.m. Actually, by the end of this, by the end of this show, I will probably be able to give you Dynamite ratings, so that's exciting. That means I have to record for 15 minutes. Let's see if I can do it. Okay, so this is from Paul Fontaine at F4WOnline.com, July 5th. 2022, this story was published. Friday night's AEW Rampage averaged 486,000 viewers on TNT, up 15.2% from the previous week. It's the best audience for the show since April 22. Rampage finished third on cable in the 18-49 demo with a .16 rating. That's up 33.3% from the prior week, and is also Rampage's highest mark in that category since April 22. So, I think what we can learn from this is that it's good that major sports playoffs are over, and it's also good when you have a match that fans want to see, like the Royal Rampage. And with that stated, let's get right into Rampage. Uh, We do start with the Royal Rampage Battle Royal, with Excalibur. Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone, which looks to maybe be the team going forward. That's an interesting team. They they seem to have shifted Taz to Dynamite, which is a good fit for him, I think. You know, he's a great announcer, so having him on the A show is good. And you have Ross on the second hour of Dynamite, and then all of Rampage. So as we discussed last week, you don't have to have the seventy year old guy out there for all three hours. He can just do his thing um, for two hours, but it helps both shows with you know whatever value having Jim Ross on the microphone uh, lens. Uh, We are in Detroit, Michigan. And yeah, so the Royal Rampage is just an AEW battle royal with two rings because it's leftover set up from Blood and Guts. Uh, Yeah, that's that's really all there is to it. Uh, So basically it's like, Entrance alternate. It's like Royal Rumble style. Um, one will come out to the first ring, then one comes to the second ring, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then it goes on until you get down to one person in each ring, and then they have a little battle royal sequence. So this whole thing goes 2249. Uh, it ends with uh, Darby Allen and Brody King winning their respective rings, and uh, they do a cool fight on the apron where Brody grabs uh, Darby, puts him in a sleeper, chokes him out, and then just drops him. It was pretty cool. Uh, So Brody gets a very hasty title shot just a few days later on Dynamite. But uh, this was fun. I like, I I think, you know, last year when they did Blood and Guts, they didn't have Rampage yet. So there was no way they could do any kind of follow-up with the two-ring setup. Um, now they can, which is cool. So hopefully this will become a yearly tradition. You do blood and guts, and then you do the Royal Rampage, uh, on Rampage that week. 
Uh, Alex Marvez interviews Hook. Hook does not have much to say. Uh, the Young Bucks take on Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Uh, this match is for a title shot. So if Goto and Hashi were to win this match, they would get a title match against the Bucks because they are on uh, a big rankings kick, which they should be. If they're going to have rankings, they should pay attention to them. And Goto and Yoshihashi are unranked, so cannot get a title shot out of the gate. And I think also it may have like fooled some people to think like, well, it's a non-title match, so they'll probably put them over and then they'll stick around and get a title shot. But no, uh, they just lost, which makes sense because they stuck around after Forbidden Door for a couple days to for you know until Wednesday night when this was taped and did their match and then they went back to Japan. So that was fine. It was a really good uh, finishing sequence. Uh, Nick used the two rings very well, and we got a, a double springboard Meltzer driver, which may be a first. Uh, let's see. Uh, we had a backstage challenge from Jonathan Gresham to Tully Blanchard Enterprises for next week's Rampage. Uh, then we had Nyla Rose versus Tony Storm in the main event. Pretty good match. Um, Nyla's gotten so good that I think it's a shame she got a push back in 2019. Because now she's actually ready for it. But it's like they already kind of like blew it. It kind of reminds me of Chris Masters in 2006. Maybe not to that extreme, but but you know. I don't know. Like, hopefully, hopefully she'll get another chance to be on top as a heel because she's very good right now. Um, but she loses uh, because like Marina Shafir is trying to interfere, and uh, Tony Storm thwarts that and hits a DDT on Nyla and gets the pin. Uh, Thunder Rosa makes the save, and Excalibur um, basically sets up the title, the uh, tag match for Dynamite. So anyway. Uh, good rampage always worth you know it's i've never had a bad time watching rampage it's over so quickly you know anything offensive uh is just right in and out uh to the news here we've got uh again from f4w online's ian carey this posted on june 30th 2022 jeff hardy has pled not guilty to his recent dui charge um, this report, according to PW Insider, Hardy filed a written plea of not guilty on June 28th. He is scheduled to be arraigned on July 5th in regard to his arrest for DUI on the morning of June 13th in Volusia County, Florida. Hardy is said to have entered a rehab facility on June 21st. Um, to refresh your memory, he has been charged with one count each of driving under the influence of drugs and alcohol which is his third offense as such in 10 years, uh, driving with a canceled, suspended, revoked license, and violating restrictions placed on a driver's license. So, there was a follow-up on this story that just came out, I think, yesterday. And let me get to that. So yes, uh, Ethan Renner posted this 18 hours ago. Uh, Jeff Hardy's arraignment and bond hearing related to his June DUI arrest has been postponed until next month. According to court records, Hardy had been set to appear in court in Volusia County in Florida on Tuesday, July 5th, but the hearing was postponed until Tuesday, August 2nd at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, so I, this kind of thing happens a lot, 
I've noticed. Um, and actually, I remember it happening with Jeff Hardy uh, another time where his court date just kept getting pushed back over and over and over again. He finally had it, but it was it was seriously like three or four times it got it just kept getting kicked out a month at a time. Anyway, so I don't know. I mean, he says he's not guilty. I don't. I just I just don't know what to. I don't know what to say, like, what's he, you know, he blew a point two nine four. I guess, is, is he contesting the, like, the validity of the breathalyzer? That's, I guess the, that's the only thing I can think of. I don't know how viable that is. Sorry, we got, uh, sounds like there's somebody mowing grass in the backyard. Uh, which is weird, because I'm the one who does that. Uh, and other news. Uh, this from Ian Carey on July 1st. 2022. Uh, it's a report uh, from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Dave Meltzer reported in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter that initial plans were for the AEW Tag Team Champions to face the Heavyweight Tag Champions from NJPW at the pay-per-view. Dave reported Ghetto's original idea was for the Young Bucks to win the IWGP Tag Titles on the show and make it AEW versus IWGP Tag Titles. It was changed, and the Young Bucks were on board with the change. Uh, the decision was later made that it would be an interesting story for FTR to hold the IWGP, ROH, and AAA tag team titles. It also sets up a match between FTR and the Young Bucks with four sets of titles on the line. Um, so anyway, I guess the thinking is, yes, because as, as I kind of, there was a tease on Dynamite last night that kind of would lead you into the direction of Young Bucks versus FTR. And I think that makes a lot of sense for All Out. And what makes even more sense is if if Punk is not ready to fight John Moxley, that's that. I think that's an occasion that you could say like, okay, we are going to headline the show with a tag team match because then you've got basically all of the major titles up for grabs in one match, and FTR have gotten over so well as babyfaces, I actually don't think the pay-per-view would take that big of a hit. So, you know, hopefully they can get some of the other folks back to flush things out, like Cole and Danielson and such, but uh, I think that's the thinking. Uh, speaking of Forbidden Door, a uh, big question going into the last Sunday's, sorry, this from Josh Nason. A big question going into last Sunday's AEW and Jupiter NJPW Forbidden Door was how it would perform on pay-per-view, given the short time to build and promote it on TV with new faces, and whether AEW fans cared about the concept to begin with. The question has been answered, as the show did an estimated 125,000 to 127,000 buys, according to Dave Meltzer in this week's Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Meltzer said the early estimate shows streaming buys uh, down 18%, while traditional cable buys are down nearly 24%, from, and that is from the last, uh, from Double or Nothing. Uh, the show resonated more with American fans than not. 80% of the total buys were from inside the United States, which he said is a higher percentage than normal. Uh, Bleacher Report numbers were down slightly from Double or Nothing and Revolution, while European fight and cable buys weren't nearly as good. Uh, Meltzer said the pay-per-view got just 7,000 buys on New Japan World, but you have to take into account that it aired live from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. local time on Monday in Japan. Uh, this number comes on the heels of May's Double or Nothing, which brought in 155,000 buys. And uh, I'd say that's pretty damn good for an unproven concept. And, you know, the first time they've run pay-per-views 
back-to-back months. I think that's encouraging. I think that definitely guarantees we get Forbidden Door 2 probably next year. Uh, This from Ian Carey, July 1st. Uh, Tony Khan approved AEW wrestlers appearing on WWE Raw for John Cena's 20th anniversary. Videos featuring AEW's Chris Jericho, Paul White, and Brian Danielson speaking about Cena appeared on the show. Dave Meltzer reported in the Wrestling Observer newsletter that it was Bruce Pritchard who reached out to Khan to make this happen. Meltzer wrote, The basic story behind this is that on 624, Bruce Pritchard called Khan and asked about having clips from those three guys as well as Mark Henry for Raw for Cena's 20th anniversary. Khan felt that it sounded like they were doing a good show and it was a nice deal, and that he and everyone has a lot of respect for Cena. He said he was fine with it, but it was up to the talent if they wanted to do the videos. Jericho, Wright, Danielson, and Mark Henry all agreed to submit videos for the show. Henry's did not make air, however. Uh, Melter continued, Mega Parekh of AEW contacted the three wrestlers and told them that Khan was okay with it, but they also had to be okay with it, and they were all okay with it. And again, he notes Henry filmed one, but it didn't air on Raw. So, yeah, um, I actually watched Raw. Well, I I mean, I, I started on a, on a big delay and fast-forwarded through anything non-Cena, but I did see all these videos, and they were, they were nice. It was a nice little presentation for John. Uh, John Cena, maybe the only thing left that can get me to watch WWE programming. Uh, let's see. Uh, this uh, published by Denise Salcedo. Uh, she interviewed Rocky Romero uh, last or this past week. This week, I guess, Sunday. And uh, she said that uh, it was basically just kind of talking about how things got thought out between New Japan and AEW. And uh, I'll just read some quotes from from uh, from Romero here. Uh, I just went back and forth between AEW and New Japan and tried to be sensible and try to be the one to communicate what the ideas were but also the sentiment and overall what the show needed. Whether it be, we need more of this, or we need more of this, and let's not forget about American fans or Japanese fans, so we need to cater to them this way. I was kind of really trying to break that down so that both sides could understand two completely different ways of doing business. The AEW model is obviously a traditional American TV model, whereas New Japan is more of a Japanese tour-based model, so it's very different, the way they book shows and do things. The New Japan-AEW relationship was kind of on ice when the elite guys had exited New Japan, and there was kind of a worry of how they were going to go forward. Our president at the time didn't really see the potential in maybe working with AEW. We already had partners in Ring of Honor and CMLL, so maybe they were thinking, let's see how this AEW thing works out before jumping into it, so we don't offend our partners. Obviously, those guys had left ROH, too, so it was a very messy and complicated situation. Now, jumping forward to, I would say, a year and a half ago, when Kenny Omega called me and had pitched the idea of kind of opening the doors a little bit. Obviously, John Moxley and Chris Jericho were still working with New Japan, but Kenny and the Young Bucks were a pivotal, pivotal, important part of New Japan prior to AEW, and they are executive vice presidents, so they hold a lot of power. Not wanting to forget about them completely, we had to open the relationship, and Kenny kind of opened that and said, hey... I have this idea of Kenta coming into AEW and working with Moxley since they already had a storyline. And that's kind of where everything started. 
All of the things that you have seen, people showing up on AEW television and AEW stars coming to New Japan Strong, that's all been Tony and I going back and forth. It's definitely built a really solid relationship between New Japan and AEW, where I know Tony has said, I can truly say that both companies have trust in each other and confidence in the relationship. So that's really been the most important thing in all of this is building that. And both companies, I think, have the same view of, let's try to do something really cool for the fans and... Let's try to do something different, because no matter what, there is always another company that has such a stronghold on the professional wrestling business worldwide that teaming up only makes sense. These totally awesome products, one in Japan and one in America, can totally team up and not hurt each other's business or revenue share or anything like that. Now, nobody get mad at me if my memory doesn't serve me well. I think that I sent a text to Tony that said, I think it would be cool if somehow we can figure out how to do some kind of joint event. And then just kind of started from there. Then he immediately had ideas what we could do card-wise. Honestly, starting with Okada, Jay White, Hangman Page. I'm not sure if Cole was in the picture at the time or if he came later. But that was already kind of an idea. So it's funny that it worked out that way, all the way to Forbidden Door. This conversation was like 10 months ago or so, I would say. I think that's kind of how it started, then just snowballed. So... I want to say 10 months ago it started with that text. The initial part of the negotiation was fairly easy, and just working out details from there. Both sides were pretty giving because they wanted to make it work. Obviously, there is a huge potential for business, so once we got done with that part, we moved on to creative. That's where it got difficult due to scheduling, other things, injuries, everything else that came down the pipeline, so then it got even more difficult. Finally, in the last 24 hours or so, Hiromu got the fever. Couldn't come, couldn't make the plane ride, and then it was like, this is crazy. Everybody was saying, this show is cursed. And then I started to feel like, this show is cursed. Something bad is going to happen. And then it goes off without a hitch that day. It felt really good. For an event that I feel had a lot of mixed emotions, everybody seemed to have an opinion on the show, and a lot of people were saying, oh, this will never do well. Then the sellout happened. Pay-per-view numbers so far have been really, really good, and 15,000-plus people showed up to the United Center. Not a bad night for a show that was supposedly cursed and wouldn't do good business. Thanks to all the haters for hating on it. It also helped promote the show. That's the funny thing. Everybody having an opinion on the show and saying how it wouldn't work got people talking about it. I definitely think moving forward into Forbidden Door 2, when and if that happens, it will be a much smoother working relationship. Everything should be smoother, because now both companies have a true understanding of how each one works. The things we could do better and fix all of the problems, minus injuries and things that you can't really control, they just kind of happen, unfortunately. That's just the name of the game. So then the question was, could the second show happen in Japan? Uh, Rocky said, I know that that is something that New Japan is very interested in doing, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Forbidden Door 2. It can be Forbidden Door 3. It can definitely be in Japan. Forbidden Door was successful internationally, so I feel that can be left open. There are definitely tons of places you can go internationally with a card like Forbidden Door. It just depends on the timing if we decide to do it in June of next year or if it needs to be accompanied by part of January 4th or 5th or something. I think there are a lot of options. In terms of what we do differently, I feel like scheduling would be a lot easier because we would know X amount of weeks out if people need to come to America, whether it be in the US or Japan. The Japan side would have loved to have AEW people come over to help make storylines, but the problem obviously being that there wasn't enough time to get visas and other things that were just beyond our control. 
Visas literally opened up three weeks before the build to Forbidden Door started, so it was almost impossible to really get visas at the last second. Now knowing what we need to do, I think we can definitely fix it where I think it will be an even more exciting build. Imagine Brian Danielson shows up to Dominion or something like that, or CM Punk or Kenny Omega show up. That would be really, really cool. So yeah, um, that's kind of the big items there from that interview. I don't know if that was interesting. Rocky's a Rocky's a rock on tour. Uh, here's just like a little story that I thought was cool. Um, Joseph Courier posted this. Uh, AEW is partnering with Diamond Select Toys to produce new toys and collectibles. It was announced on Friday that Diamond Select Toys will be offering a variety of AEW products this summer, including toys based on CM Punk, Sting, Chris Jericho, Britt Baker, John Moxley, and more. The products will include 2-inch Minimates posable figures, 4-inch Vinimates vinyl figures, 10-inch Gallery Diorama PVC sculptures, and 11-inch Premier Collection statues. The line will launch with a two-pack of vinyl figures at San Diego Comic-Con. Later this month, the two-pack will include CM Punk and Sting and their mutual tribute face paint from AEW Dynamite Holiday Bash 2021. Um... So yeah, this is kind of one of those things where I just, I thought that Funko would have been making AEW toys by now, and I'm just really shocked it hasn't happened. I thought, you know, I mean, the thinking would be maybe like, well, maybe WWE has some kind of exclusivity with wrestling, but like they were making New Japan toys, you know, they were making them for, and they weren't making them for the Japanese wrestlers, they were making them for the Young Bucks and Cody and... Kenny Omega, and, you know, and uh, I, I I just think that, uh, so, so I don't know, so I don't know what the answer is, but you'd think that Funko would be the the obvious fixture here, but this this Diamond Toys seems to be um, kind of a, like a bit of an alternative to Funko. Let's see. Uh, this is by Ian Carey, just yesterday, July 6th. Marco Stunt felt it was kind of lame when his name was mentioned on AEW programming recently. On the June 22nd edition of Dynamite, Luchasaurus came out to confront Christian, who had turned on Jungle Boy the week prior. Christian told Luchasaurus to remember what happened to Marco. Uh, during an interview with NBC Sports Boston, Stunt was asked how he felt about his name being used in the context that it was on the show. I was not aware that it was going to be said or anything, Stunt responded. For them to do it in that context, I thought it's kind of lame. I mean, it makes sense, though, in a way. I was part of that group before him, and what he's basically saying is he came in and got me fired. So, in a story sense, love it. In a real-life sense, hey, it is what it is, I guess. Stunt was then asked if he felt as though Christian really did come in and steal his spot in Jurassic Express. I don't think that he necessarily took my spot, because we are two completely different roles, for sure. I was more of a hype guy, and he was more of a leader role, like, here I've been here, done this, let me show you how you get to the top type of role. I think that was cool, I think that was a cool concept, but I did not think that he fit in with the group at all. I don't think he added any sort of dynamic, really. Stunt continued to say that he knew from the beginning that the company was going to set up Jungle Boy for a big push. They're setting up Jack to do great things. They're setting him up to have this great push right now, and great things, and I've known that he was going to do that from the start. He's one of my best friends that I made there. Christian wanted to work with Jungle Boy, and that was his way in. It just so happened to push me out of the way and gradually wean me out, Stunt continued. Uh, 
So that is Marco Stunt's perspective on things. And finally, Josh Nason posted this July 6th. For the first time since Wednesday's Blood and Guts, AEW head Tony Khan acknowledged the injury Santana suffered in that match, confirming that it was a knee injury. One half of the Santana and Ortiz tag team injured his left knee during a Uranagi spot with Daniel Garcia, mere moments after he entered the double cage. It was a non-contact injury. While speaking on Busted Open Radio Wednesday, Khan didn't give any details as to the severity or his timetable for return other than saying, it could be a relatively long injury. Khan said he talked to Santana after the match and that the company will stand by him and support him through his recovery, which is the right thing to do. On Monday, Santana commented publicly for the first time since sustaining the injury. A thank you, with nothing further added. Santana said, it's been an overwhelming last few days, but I just want to take a sec to say thank you. Uh, Yes, so there have been rumors going around that Santana's deal is almost up. And he's even like posted a couple of tweets counting down the days. So it seemed like he was definitely on his way out of AEW. Um, he's been taking some indie bookings. Well, not now, obviously, with his knee. But he had been taking some indie bookings solo. And word is there are issues between him and Ortiz. I don't know if that's the case, but that's what's been reported in a couple of places. And it kind of adds up. So I uh, wish Santana well. I'm glad that, uh, you know they're going to keep paying him through his injury that's the right thing to do as it happened in their ring uh, and uh hope everything works out and one final thing before we get to uh dynamite is for the first time in a long time we need to just talk really quickly about something that happened on being the elite which was at the end of the episode matt jackson almost texted hangman page he texted he, he had he had the text up he's he wrote out an apology said hey we need to talk it's you know it's like just it's crazy that this has gone this far we really need to just get back on the same page i think we can solve this with one conversation he wrote the whole thing out and then he deleted the whole thing so uh definitely seems like hung bucks are coming which is good uh that will it will be a great okay now I'm going to try to fill Megan's shoes and do the world's fastest dynamite recap. All right. Uh, we are in Rochester, New York, the home of Brody Lee. Here in the first hour, we've got Excalibur, Taz, and Tony Schiavone. We open with a TNT title match as Scorpio Sky defends against Wardlow. It's a street fight, and uh, American top team guys are out with Sky. I didn't recognize any of them. There was one, like, super, super tall one who I was like, I was just like, who is that? I had... I did not know, and I never found out, but I was, I, I get, I don't know, I get shiny bull syndrome when I see tall people who can potentially be wrestlers. Uh, it was to no avail, though, as uh, Wardlow just pretty much slaughtered Scorpio Sky, and the ATT crew weren't much help, and three power bombs, foot on the chest, you have a new TNT champion. Uh, John Moxley, backstage, talking about his match coming up with Brody King, good promo. Uh, Tony Nice and Mark Sterling want Keith Lee to sign uh, their petition to get Swerve kicked out of AEW for his actions in uh, the, uh, I guess in like just a lot of things, like the, the last couple battle royals he's been in. Keith Lee acknowledges that 
Swerve did screw him out of the Battle Royal. Um, but uh, he's also his tag team partner, and they are a winning team, so he declined. Uh, Christian Cage and Luchasaurus are out. Uh, Matt Hardy interrupts, and there's a big promo battle between Matt and Christian, which Christian A wins, and then uh, six Luchasaurus on Matt Hardy. It all ends up with Luchasaurus choke slamming Christian through a ringside table. Uh, Christian is very good in this role. Uh, backstage we go. Tony Schiavone is mediating a conversation between Claudio Castagnoli and Jake Hager. They are going to have a match next week. Should be fun. The Butcher and the Blade versus Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. I feel bad because the Butcher and the Blade don't get these kinds of shots very often. And it was set up by some good work they did in the Battle Royal on Rampage. And unfortunately... They kind of just, I don't know. They 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 made some mistakes. There were some there were some errors. Uh, I do think Swerve just kind of like he didn't jump high enough on a on a uh, on a leapfrog attempt, which was kind of weird because you know he's he's incredibly athletic. So I was surprised. Like Blade did the duck, but he still ended up like headbutting Swerve in the thigh, pretty much. Anyway. Um, Swerve and Keith Lee, you know, teased dissension, couldn't, not getting along. They were still able to get the win. Um, Team Taz comes out afterwards, and they're they're still mad at these two and uh, setting up something. And then that brings out the Young Bucks, and the Young Bucks challenge these two teams to a triple threat match for the tag titles next week on night one of Fighter Fest at Dynamite. This is where there was a big FTR chant, and the Bucks are just like, we're better than those guys, don't worry about it. So, FTR is still coming. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Malachi Black cuts a promo for Brody King on John Moxley. Uh, Eddie Kingston is in the ring. He congratulates the Wardlow, and 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 he even says nice things about Claudio. And, and uh, before we can find out... Uh, exactly what he's on about uh we cut backstage and taikanji is slamming a car door in ruby soho's hand at the behest of chris jericho and uh yeah because ruby and eddie are buddies so i th- I, th- I feel like this eventually leads to some kind of mixed tag but we'll see uh dark order in the ring uh evil uno does this promo kind of teasing that the group's gonna break up but it's really just like no, no, no we're still here and we're not going anywhere uh Negative One's about to talk in his father's hometown. Uh, QT interrupts and threatens uh, Negative One. And then Hangman Page comes out and everybody kicks QT Marshall's ass. They all hit their big moves on him. Uh, Penta Oscuro versus Roosh. Um, this may have been the first Roosh like, non-Battle Royal match I've seen. I guess maybe I saw him wrestle... Oh, God. Um, Dalton Castle at the Madison Square Garden Ring of Honor show. I guess that's possible. That sounds like... That sounds possible. Anyway. Um, but this was the first uh, time since then, at least. Uh, I liked their match. I, li- I think I think Roosh is kind of cool. He's he's obviously very charismatic, and he... Um, are just We're just chopping the hell out of each other, he and Penta. Which, you know... I mean, I could hear the chops on Penta, and Penta wears, like, covering on his chest, so Roosh must have been hitting him pretty goddamn hard. Um, Andrade 
uh, kind of distracts the referee and Rooch uh, unmasks Penta again, which he did on Friday as well, and uh, kicks him in the balls. Ball watch 2022 and uh, pins Penta. Good match while it lasted, though. Uh, Smart Mark and Tony Nese are backstage again, and they're talking to Orange Cassidy, trying to get him to sign the petition. And he's like, no, nah, I need to talk to my lawyer, which uh, brings Danhausen. And Danhausen looks it over, I guess, and kind of says, like, well, you know, we need to, uh, you know, we, we need, uh, we can't, we can't do this. But, uh, but then uh, it ends up they're going to do a match, Sterling versus, not Sterling, um, Nice versus Cassidy at Rampage. And if Nice wins, Orange Cassidy has to sign the petition to get rid of Swerve Strickland. It's very convoluted. Uh, next up, we get the Acclaimed and the Gun Club versus Fuego do Sol, Bear Country, and Leon Ruff. Um, pretty smart stuff here in the entrance as Max Caster is just about to start his rap and Austin Gunn blows by him and takes the microphone from him. And the crowd goes nuts booing because, you know, the weekly Max Caster rap is has become one of the highlights of Dynamite. So um, it's a real big babyface thing now. It's like that time the road dog um, got his like throat hurt and couldn't do the intro. Which, coincidentally, Billy Gunn was also involved with. Um, anyway, so they have this match. Acclaimed to the Gun Club get the win, obviously. And then uh, the two winning teams get into a brawl at the end. And Billy Gunn this time, uh, unlike the last time, turns on uh, the Acclaimed. And seems solidly with his sons. Uh, Bowen's basically begging to be scissored, and Daddy Ass hits him with the Fame Asser instead. So, uh, he claimed it, they should be baby faces, obviously, at this point. Um, I am sad that we will probably never hear Scissor Me Daddy Ass again. Uh, Miro, he's coming after the House of Black. So, that's fun, because he got misted. Uh, next up, Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir versus Thunderstorm. Tony Storm and Thunder Rosa. Uh, this is coming off of Rampage, obviously. Uh, it was okay, I guess. Uh, Marina gets finished with a package pile driver. Um, I think there's something in Thunderstorm. Uh, I still don't see much in Marina Shafir, and this is the second company that I've not seen much in her. And uh, Stokely Hathaway is backstage. He's introducing Layla Gray as an interim baddie. Uh, so I guess he and Jade came to an accord on that. Uh, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, Daniel Garcia challenges Wheeler Yuta to a pure title match at the Ring of Honor pay-per-view on July 23rd, and FTR challenges the Briscoes. So yeah, that'll be great. And that takes us to our main event. AEW interim world title, Jonathan Moxley versus Brody King. Uh, crowd, so the crowd, I think the crowd for the show peaked in the opening segment, unfortunately. Now, they were in, they were insane for the War Dog, um, and especially when he won. But you get to this point in the show, and it's, and it's a match for the interim world title that had, you know, has only been built up for like five days. You know that Brody King's not winning this match, so there wasn't a ton of heat. Like they, they kind of got into spots and like big moves, but like there just wasn't much sound 
throughout. And, uh, and that's okay. Cause I mean, I don't know what you're going to do. Um, and Moxley, Moxley chokes him out. Finally, after they, 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 they beat each other up real good. There was nothing wrong with the match. It just, it just didn't get the crowd. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons to that. So that was it. That was dynamite. Um, kind of not, not the world's greatest show. Um, nothing terribly wrong with it. I, I think that enter, I think the, um, the segments with uh, Sterling and Nice were kind of lame, but um, nothing, nothing too atrocious. But yeah, so uh, well, with that said, let me see. It's it's now four twenty. Smoke weed every day, and I'm gonna see if we've got ratings because we probably should at this point. Check Brandon Thurston's Twitter feed. Yes, okay. Um, AEW Dynamite last night on TBS, 979,000 viewers, 18 to 49 rating of 0.36. Dynamite ranked number one among cable originals for Wednesday. Uh, let's see. Yeah, looks like it won pretty big. Looks like number two was um, Real Housewives, and that did a 0.3. So, big win for Dynamite. Good job, guys. All right. So we got the ratings in. That's good. Okay. Well, we've been going for about 37 minutes. I think it's time to, to wrap the shenanigan up. Uh, we will be back next week for sure with, uh, with Megan and Jenny. And uh, until then, I'm Andy. Thanks for listening to The Elite Beat. And I'm not going to do the thing because it would be weird.